Welcome to Cryptonized, the show that interviews the crypto masters and their ideas on investing and the blockchain. And now here's your host, Mark Fidelman. David Siegel is a self-proclaimed regulatory refugee from the United States. I know he doesn't feel alone. A lot of us feel that way. Today, we're going to talk about the blockchain and the future of money and how the regulatory environment and personal data all play into this whole situation, which is, you know, it's interesting. And I want uh, David to kind of update us on what's going on with all of this. I, this is going to prove to be a, a very exciting and interesting show. And, and David, I just want to welcome you to the show. And uh, we're so happy to have you. Thanks, Mark. Could you? Tell us about yourself in a hundred words or less before we jump in. I started 25 companies, wrote five books, jumped out of airplanes 140 times, and I've been to 99 countries. You got to get out more. I make pretty good brownies. (laughs) I'm not going to ask you what's in them, but uh... (laughs) all right. So, you know, a very interesting topic for me is where the heck is all this going? Where is money yeah. going? I mean, you see China's bet on DPEC, um, but what, what is your viewpoint on the future of money? I mean, this is a very interesting topic. Well, let's, let's just go back a couple of years to the idea that a lot of people have that Bitcoin is money, um, which I've written a lot about. I'm, I study money. I study macroeconomics. I teach about money and macroeconomics, and I don't think Bitcoin is money. So I think uh, Bitcoin is a great store of value and a terrible unit of account and unit of exchange. We don't, you don't want to buy your groceries or pay your bills or pay your landlord with Bitcoin. So uh, then we had, so I think that was kind of, and I hate to use the word bubble because I don't believe in bubbles. So, so I think it was like a, a kind of Austrian economist wet dream that, people showed up with Bitcoin and said, well, this is the new gold and therefore it's the new money because a lot of those people think that gold is money. And they were just misguided. It was just a wrong assumption that we were going to transform money with Bitcoin. Uh, We never were and and we're not going to. It's just a great store. I think it's a much better store of value than gold is. Uh, So then came the ICO boom, and it was kind of like the new stock market, except, and honestly, I thought that the ICO boom was awesome. Uh, I launched one and raised uh, over $20 million for the Pillar Project, which is all about personal data. And, uh, you know, I, you can't say that's not, that's a bubble either. So what, what really happened there, because I study financial bubbles, and I don't believe there are any financial bubbles. Uh, because at the time, you can't tell which way it's going to go. And at the time in 2017, we just couldn't see that regulators were going to clamp down on this, like with their lobster claws and their hydraulic presses and grind us back into the 20th, 20th century. We, yeah, there was a chance of that. But there was also this concept of permissionless finance and, uh, you know, Ethereum and, and Bitcoin not being regulated as as uh, as it, it securities, but more or less seen as uh, as commodities, 
And so there was this chance, then I thought it was a pretty good chance in 2017 that we would be able to create our own economies with tokens. And so I started teaching classes about tokenomics and we started writing paper. In fact, uh, Vitalik Buterin's work on tokenomics has been really important and I encourage people to read his blog religiously. But it, what happened was uh, the I would say the, the black swan event happened and we all just got all the regulators just rolled up their sleeves, reached in and grabbed everything they possibly could. They just interpreted everything we were doing as right solidly in their uh, jurisdictions and started sending out, you know, subpoenas and requests for information and so forth. And then we got, oh, it was, it was yeah, worse than that. They were having, we got a, had, probably a, like a eight page questionnaire from the Swiss government uh, at, at pillar and we filled it out and fortunately it in in the swiss legal framework there is such a thing as a utility token and we qualified as a utility token but man look at what has happened to these projects like kick and and telegram and you know they're just throwing everything at these companies that are they were just trying to innovate we're just doing experiments you know, we expect a lot of it to, to fail, but we don't expect all of it to be hauled back into the 1930s and 1940s by regulators who are, who are sort of determined not to let people innovate, especially here in the United States. Well, I mean, they're afraid that, you know, the U.S. dollar is going to be usurped or, you know, this, uh, I, the IPOs of the late 90s, we're going to see a resumption of that and uh honestly i think a lot of them are in bed with the banks and financial institutions and they don't want to see any of this happen either but i it's think certainly it's all primarily, connected, yeah yeah i think it's primarily the fact that these congressmen and women don't have the time to kind of educate themselves on you know blockchain and crypto i mean even even myself it took a long time just to have a a sense of what's going on. I mean, there's, there's a lot in this. So I don't necessarily blame the congressmen and women entirely, but I think their first <laughs> reaction, the first reaction to it is negative, while the rest of the world, even the Swiss now uh, in China, are starting to, okay, this is the future. We got to figure out how we're a part of it instead of what the US government appears to be doing, which is going the opposite direction. Yeah, there is the blockchain caucus, which you have to hand it to them. And there are there's some really exciting things happening in Wyoming. But at the national level, the conversation is very primitive. Yeah, I, I mean, and I know you've talked about this a lot. Uh, I think you've written a, a white paper on it. But so what, why do you why do you think uh, the SEC and the U.S. government hasn't come out with some clear guidelines around this yet? Oh, I think it's very clear now, Mark. It's exactly 100% back in the 1940s. Uh, and they're, they're taking no, no innovation. They have no interest in innovation. They just, it's gonna, it, this is now just replacing whatever paper we've used for uh, shares or derivatives or anything that, that's deemed a security is, is now, okay, they just don't care that it's a token. It just has to be fully compliant now. Are they? They haven't okay, given a single inch. Yeah, I mean that's and, and that's the thing. But also, have they given out guidelines that say here's what a security 
is well, yeah, here's sure. what a token is. Sure, because they don't care about tokens. Tokens just represent a digital form of the same old thing. And those, those securities laws haven't worked for 60 years. They're fully broken. They use things like the Howey test, which is impossible to right. interpret, which no one understands, which just randomly assigns things to be securities that, that may or may not be and is not clear, has never been clear. Forget about tokens. Uh, and so we're, we're in that solidly in that same old fashioned framework that simply doesn't work. And I, I go on and on about uh, the, the financial action task force and their AML, you know, the KYC requirements, it mm -hmm. simply doesn't work whether you want to be, enforce it or not you should understand it doesn't work that three trillion dollars of money is laundered every year much of it by banks very true no problem yeah i mean that, that's where it's going through you so know, it's that's where we've been for for decades we've got a yeah. dysfunctional financial system in the united states and this tiny new thing called tokens is just been captured by a monster dysfunctional system. But why isn't there kind of a block blockchain or crypto lobbying group like the banks have, which are very popular? Right. So there is. It's called it's called the Chamber of Digital Commerce, digitalchamber.org. I was an executive member last year of the, the executive member of the executive committee. It's fantastic. It's headed by Perry Ann Boring, who is amazing. Uh, started and funded by a bunch of you know, Bitcoin millionaire guys who, who really see the need for it. Their work is, their events, everything they do is fantastic, but, you know, it takes a long time to change the law. Are they, so they have lobbyists actively going after Congress? Oh, yeah. They, they have education days here in, in Washington. They work actively with the, Bit, with the blockchain caucus. They have they have fantastic action plan, eight point action plan for the United States. The problem is that you need a majority in Congress and then you need to get through the Senate to pass anything. And these yeah. people are really, really interested in getting reelected. Right, but I, I don't think the overall mood about crypto in the United States is negative. Don't you think it's more positive even though most people don't understand it? I, I don't know why Congress, or I know there are some congressmen that are behind it, but you know I don't know why there's not they wouldn't take this on as a positive. I think that fundamentally our financial system from end to end is broken. Very true. And so what are, who cares about, you know, what they care about is getting reelected. If they could enact more tough laws that make them look tough and that helps them get reelected, that's what they, that's what they care about. Yeah. Okay. It's, Fair it's enough. not really a serious conversation. Yeah. It is in places like Wyoming, where Wyoming wants to be like the new Delaware and give people who start companies or uh, set up trusts and funds and things there much more protection than they have in Delaware for what, you know, for example, if what happens if you lose your private keys, uh, you know, what happens if you claim your tokens were stolen and stuff. They've, they've done a lot of really good work in Wyoming. I just... I, I'm, I'd hate to see that it's a, some kind of a state-wise patchwork of different regulations would be a disaster. But if that shows Washington the kinds of things they should be doing, then it's, then it's, then it's great. Okay. Well, 
Yeah, I'd love to learn more. It's called the Digital Chamber of Commerce, and they're based in Washington. Chamber of Digital Commerce. It's digitalchamber.org. Uh, they're amazing, and I they're just fighting the good fight. Their event last March was stunning. They've got people at uh, CFTC, at Treasury, even a couple people inside the SEC who are really trying to fight the good fight. It's just that they're outnumbered. Uh, in particular, I point you to their eight-point action plan for, for America to help become more innovative. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll post that. We'll they are really that. trying to do the right thing. It has a okay. lot to do with ownership. You know, in the United States, you're not allowed to own your own financial instruments. It's illegal, right? You have hmm. to have an intermediary, a broker, or, or, some, or, or a custodian. And that you could, that's by law. And this right. kind of thing, this fundamental basic stuff we have to really look hard at. And change. And change. Because be this is not the 21st century you know, platform for innovation. Yeah. So let's shift to other countries that appear <laughs> to be getting it, uh, but I don't know if there's a nefarious reason for it or not. I suspect there is. But if you look at China's DCEP, and what they're doing in China, um, in my opinion, yeah, it's great they've embraced the technology because I think they're forced to. Uh, <laughs> but then, secondly, secondly, uh, it's another means of of monitoring, you know, what the anybody using that uh, yeah. that token will be doing. And I know personal data is a big, you know, topic for you. So why don't, why don't we just cover China's DCEP real quick and uh, okay. all personal so data? It's going to be a tool for the surveillance state. Which, which we pretty much already have. This is all the AML ridiculousness. Uh, is a, it doesn't do anything for, for anti-money laundering, but it's fantastic for surveillance. So most governments have bought into this. Uh, and in China, I think we'll see lots and lots of control. And, uh, you know, people probably, you know, get, getting charged with or sent to jail because of their spending habits. You know, they're already doing some of that with their, their social uh, media score. And so it will continue. On the other hand, um, it's fantastic to really revitalize the, the payment infrastructure. You can't underestimate that. That's a big deal. That's real progress. And if we can get that, if that eventually becomes money, I mean, you know, not a toy, but they eventually replace the yuan with a digital yuan. That's a big deal. And that will keep, keep China growing at their, you know, six, seven, eight percent per year while, you know, Europe and North America continue to slide back. Okay. And what do you think is going to happen? I know you've already hinted at this in terms of, Let's say a U.S. citizen is using this Chinese digital currency. What do you think it's going to do with personal data in China and around the world? Well, first of all, I think market will be regulated as money, so it will be it will be fall under all the e-money laws, right? So e-money laws are broken. Uh, e-money laws are great for big companies, even like PayPal, who have banking licenses, and PayPal ha is watching every transaction for suspicious behavior. Right? So. So um, they will do the same thing with personal data. I mean, if once they are watching your wallet, 
uh, they will start watching all of your, you know, uh, you know, they'll be able to triangulate your spending with your online behavior, right? And start to find more and more, uh, make inferences about your personal life. And if they, for some reason, don't like the kind of activities that you're doing, then they'll use that against you. Okay. And so you see, and you know, I don't know if you know what's going on with the social credit scores in China, but once you start, yeah, I mean, mean, it's going to get, if you're a Chinese citizen, look out. I mean, you're going to be completely controlled by, by the nanny state there. Yeah. Uh, I think freedom is very much at risk in the United States, in China, in the rest of the world. And for reasons that don't really make any sense because they don't keep people safer. They don't help society. It's simply more government control. By the way, I'm not a, uh, a conspiracy theorist. I just think that China, you know, as a, as a one-party state, uh, likes having control. And they don't. They want to control the conversations, right? Yeah. Um, so they, they will do things that will uh, be good for, their, for the party, and they will repress things that are bad for the party. Yeah, I, I think they want to control the conversation. I think they want to also control their citizens to a degree by... Uh this massive Darwinian experiment to it, the uh, rewards and, and all that. So it should be interesting to see what, see what happens sure. uh, in that country. China. You know, it's a kind of an arms race and, uh, and a uh, complex adaptive system. So they, they're interested in surveilling and, and monitoring conversations. At the same time, everybody in China has a VPN. <laughs> I just talked with someone in Dubai the other day and she said, Dubai, you know, uh, Skype is banned in Dubai. Can't use Skype. That's too uh, dangerous. Of all things. Yeah. That's too dangerous. So, but everybody has a VPN now. So right. it's going to be this continuing escalation on all sides trying to get around the stuff. And that's yeah, why, it, by the way, <clears throat> I'm very bullish on Bitcoin for that reason, right? It's not, a, it's not a unit of account. It's not money, but it is a good way to stash, a good place, to, I think, to stash money and to, to have it grow faster than inflation. Right. That's a great point. I mean, uh, and I think a lot of people share your enthusiasm of Bitcoin for that, for that very reason. And you know, there's other tokens like Monero and in other places where people are, are saying, look, you know, the financial system's broken or corrupt and uh, I'm just not going to participate in it. So that's, that's, uh, that's an interesting perspective. Now, there's just so, to mention there are 60 countries in the world that have more than 6% inflation, and that's just government theft. That's governments printing money to pay their own bills. So that leads, that leads to hyperinflation. And many of those countries rightly should look, the people in those countries rightly should look for alternatives. That's, that's what excited me about, about uh, Libra, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, you know, I share that with you. I, I kind of like in this whole thing, it's not directly analogous, but I remember, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time in India uh, 10 or 12 years ago, and there was, you know, on average, for the average Indian citizen to get a phone line into their home, it took two, two years. So you'd order it, two years later, it'd be, it would be delivered, right? Wow. It was terrible. Wow. But once a new option was offered, the mobile phone, yeah. it, you know, you could see the graph. It went up like a hockey stick. <laughs> Straight up, yeah. So when citizens are presented with something that's a better option, especially when their yeah. government is, is yeah, we, it, India's government's a little bit corrupt, or just a little bit, you know, just not organized. Um, this is going to happen. And I, I liken it to, okay, 
your currency's not working for you in your native country, hello Venezuela, then yeah, you're going to go to something that works and something that's, you know, uh, not controlled by any one central authority, especially in your home country. Well, so I, I see that happening. Well, I'm not a complete uh, decentralist, so I think the dollar is a very good product. And, and the first thing that people in Venezuela and Argentina and Zimbabwe should do is dollarize, and they pretty much have. I mean, the dollar is a great product for that. It, you know, it's, it's stable in so many ways. It's stable uh, now. It it's stable now. Structure. Right. It, it's stable now, but you've got, it, it could become desta destabilized in the no. future. They've made a lot of bad policies, not in the near future. I'm not talking about the near, near future, but I mean, you can't just endlessly print money. You can't. Uh, oh, you can, pay. Mark. Mark, this is well, a real, this is a huge misunderstanding. People do not understand monetary policy. Um, and I won't take, I'll take another half hour of your time, any time to go through this. But you can absolutely print money if the if the economy has slowed down, and you should you should add money to circulation when the economy is sluggish, and then you can you can unwind that trade when the economy overheats. This is not printing money from nothing for for just power reasons. This is stimulation. We want two percent uh, inflation in the United States, and the and the Fed keeps undershooting that target. Uh, if you're a serious you know, student of monetary policy, you understand that 2% inflation is good. When we go above that, we want to pull some money out of circulation. And when we are below it, we want to pump money into circulation. And they're doing a better and better and better job at that. I, I predict within 10 years, um, they'll be able to, hit, and they could hit it today if they wanted to, but it's going to take some change in their models at the Fed. But, but within 10 years, I think they'll be hitting that pretty consistently and that the dollar will be even more stable than it is now. I'll have you on for another show to talk Good. just about that because we, <laughs> we don't have the time. Now, I appreciate your... I appreciate I'm your, locked and loaded. <laughs> I appreciate your, your... Definitely appreciate your perspective on that. So I, I, uh, I have a final question. I ask everybody this. I don't think you like this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. In 100 words or less, if you can invest a fictional 100,000 in one yeah. or two cryptos, or maybe none, maybe that's your answer. Maybe yeah. invest it, maybe just hold no. dollars. What would, the, what would it be and why? It's a horrible question, Mark, because no one should take my answer as meaning anything because it always demands, <laughs> depends on, on what, how much do you have. Are you a billionaire? Or it's are a you fictional. Living, are you living? It doesn't matter because it, the question is, how much do you have to work with? Right. If I if I'm living paycheck to paycheck, the answer doesn't matter. And if I have, let's say I have, let's just say, let's make it a reasonable assumption. Let's say you have a million dollars to invest for your future, your family, your children, your you know your your future. Now, what would you do with a hundred thousand? Now, now that's a reasonable question because I would put about ten percent. I've said this for the last five years. I would put ten percent into a reasonable mix of crypto assets. Uh, and one of them that I like a lot is called Endow, N-D-A-U. I think it's Endow.io, maybe. Uh, that's a real world, that's a token that represents real world assets. It's a store of value. It's really well governed. It's very well designed. I would definitely, so I'd take something like a third Endow, a third uh, uh, Bitcoin, and a third Ethereum, just, just as a quick answer. But I would not go over 10% of my overall holdings. I've been saying this forever. If, if for some reason your crypto portfolio doubles, 
then take some money off the table and get back down to 10%. So you see it as uh, volatile, at least for now, and 10% is usually what uh, professionals advise their clients to do to kind of be just ga- kind of gambling money uh, within the stock market. Mm, I, I wouldn't have 10% more than anything. 10% stocks, 10% bonds, 10% real estate, 10%, you know, I, I, I would, I think a diversified portfolio is smart. Okay, wonderful. David, uh, I really appreciate you being on the show. Where can people reach you or find you online? I am at, uh, they can find me now, I'm at dsegel.com. That's my personal site. And then there's permissionlessfinance.com where I talk about, uh, about digital money. And I'm going more toward personal data. So I've just launched a new nonprofit project around the personal data locker, something I've been passionate about for 20 years. And uh, so they can find the personal data locker document on medium.com. And I hope to launch a website on that in the coming months. Okay. Again, appreciate you uh, being on the show. Um, Wonderful explanation of future to money and where we're headed. And can't wait to have you back on for a discussion about the dollar. Anytime, Mark. Thanks. Thank you. A reminder that we are not financial advisors and anything we talk about or refer to on the show should not be considered or construed as financial advice. We encourage you to do your own research and come to your own conclusions.